0: Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve
1: Fowler. Um, And so it's good to be back, and the team did great here. Last week, Rob did a great job, Rob Bashman did a great job uh, teaching from from the book of Acts, talking about Ephesus and, and how the gospel brings people together. And if you got your Bibles, would you go to Acts chapter 26, uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. Go to page 930, and you will find right where you need to be. Acts 26. Uh, I'm going to read a lot of that portion of that, a, a large portion of that, of that that text here in a bit. But nearly 10 years ago, in a Balkan country, Balkan state, there was a police chief in his little village, his city that um, that wanted to make a significant purchase of bulletproof vests. The police uh, needed these bulletproof vests and Uh, It was a very expensive uh, endeavor, and so there were city officials and state officials that needed to check off on this purchase. And so the police chief uh, wanted to really convince the the officials of, of just how important these bulletproof vests were and how effective they are. So he, he got one of those bulletproof vests, and he asked his number two guy if he'd take part in the demonstration. And so the number two guy, the, the way this was set up is that he would wear the bulletproof vest, and the chief would fire a round from his pistol into the bulletproof vest, which we want to just say right now, it's good to be the chief, right? <laughs> um, and, and, and so this demonstration is all set up. And just so you know, it, that, that part of the demonstration goes fine. Um, the, the, the people are all there. The, the, the guy there with the bulletproof vest is there. The police chief fires around. The, the bulletproof vest absorbs the impact of that, of that bullet and, and knocks the guy back. But he gets up, and he's just fine. And people are very excited, and, and, and the people are impressed. The officials are impressed. And in an unscripted moment... The police chief, uh, he, he makes a move towards this guy who just took the bullet, and he pulls out his knife, and he goes, and he's going to plunge the knife into the bulletproof vest, which is where we need to remind ourselves here, bulletproof vests, not knife-proof vests, because bulletproof vests are these multiple layers of fibers like this, and um, and they're intended to, uh, for a ball- ballistic, as fired, it just kind of absorbs it, but a knife-point finds its way all through those fibers, and actually what he ends up doing is sticking the knife in the chest of his coworker. Now, he's fine. it's not a, it's not a mortal wound, it's just a flesh wound. He goes to the hospital. He's, he's just fine. He's, he's okay. But everyone is stunned. Everyone's shocked. Because here's a protective device that can stop a bullet moving at 2,200 feet per second And this knife, which is moving much slower, is able to make its way through the vest and actually bring harm. It finds its way through. And the reason I'm telling you that story is because, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but in our day and age, people people are very protective. And when it comes to the topic of faith, people have their guard up. People they they're deflecting any kind of attempt to engage in a spiritual conversation. They don't they they're not. Interested. Forty years ago, if you said you went to church, that was seen as a noble thing. Now, if you say you go to church, people look at you a little suspicion, a little skepticism. So, okay, well, what's that all about? And people are very guarded when it comes to the topic of faith. I have a friend. Some of you may remember this story. I have a friend named Greg, and when he found out that I was a pastor. He said to me, he was a doctor, he said, Steve, I'm a doctor and I promise that I will never talk to you about medicine. And you need to promise to me that you will never talk to me about faith, faith or about God. It, see, the defenses are up. Like I'm, we're, we're not going there. And I, I'm, The shields are up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to protect myself. And, and here, here's why I'm, I'm sharing this with you, because you possess something that has the ability to get past all the walls that are up. That people are protecting themselves. You have the ability, you have something in your possession that kind of like that knife into the bulletproof vest can unexpectedly find its way in and actually touch a heart to the point where someone might consider the claims of Jesus Christ. You possess that, and what you possess that has that ability is simply your story, your encounter with Jesus, your own testimony, and what you're going to see in Acts chapter twenty-six is the Apostle Paul telling his story. Now, Paul, he's been in Ephesus, he's gone to Jerusalem, he's been there, he's preached there, and then he was arrested, and then he's put in jail there in Jerusalem. A conspiracy to take his life is exposed. He's whisked out of Jerusalem, and he finds himself in a coastal city called Caesarea, which is named after Caesar, and he's, in, he's, being, he's been held by a guy named Festus. And Festus has some friends coming to visit him, uh, King Agrippa and his sister named Bernice. And what you're going to see is there's going to be this, this legal proceeding. And Paul's going to be brought in, in Acts 26, and he's going to share his story with those who are gathered there. And what you're going to see, in a very clear way, he shares a story, and you're going to see how that story finds and works its way past all the walls that are up, all the protective devices, all the resistance. It's going to find its way and actually touch someone's So what I wanna do is I wanna just begin reading the story. We'll hit the pause button here and there through it because I want you to notice some things. But Acts 26 on page 930, uh, there's two columns there. If you're not used to finding your way around the Bible, big numbers are chapters, little numbers in the sentences there. If you're wondering what those are, those are verse numbers. Those are like addresses. So we're gonna start at the big 26, right there at the the very beginning where it says, then Agrippa said to Paul, you may speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hands, started his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders, for I know you are an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now, listen to me patiently. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I am on trial because of, my, because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day, and they share the same hope I have. Yet, your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible... ...to any of you that God can raise the dead. I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could... ...to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem... ...authorized by the leading priests. I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues... ...to get them to curse Jesus... I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. Hit the pause button there because here's what Paul's doing. He's telling his story. And his story, just like your story, it can, it can work its way past all the walls that go up, all the resistance. And he telling, he's telling his story. And he begins by telling his story by saying, this is what my life looked like before I met Jesus. This is B.C., my life before Christ. And what he's saying is, hey, this is what you need to know. I was right-wing. I was ultra-conservative. I was a Pharisee. And when I heard about Jesus and I heard about these Christians, everything in me opposed them. In fact, I went and I, and I drugged them out of houses and I had them thrown in prison. And when there were votes of whether they should be executed, I cast my vote to make sure that they were executed. In fact, in some cases, I actually brought them into the synagogue. I brought them into the Jewish synagogue, and I had them publicly tortured for the purpose of hoping that they would recant of their faith in Jesus Christ. I did all that. In fact, even beyond that, I did that in Jerusalem, and I was so zealous about this that I went on mission trips. I went on short-term trips, and I took, I took journeys to foreign cities, and I hunted Christians, and I had them thrown in prison, and I had them executed, and I had them tortured. This was my life before I met Christ. So what Paul is doing, he's painting the backdrop of his life before he met Jesus. But then he's going to transition here in verse 12, and he's going to move, and he's going to say, one day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests. About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me, and tell them what I will show you in the future, and I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes, so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me." Paul, well, pause button there again. Paul says, "This is my, this is what my life was like before Christ. This is what I was known for. I hunted Christians. Look, some of you were known for something too before you gave your life to Christ. It probably wasn't hunting Christians, but you probably, you probably known for maybe anger, maybe for some addictive patterns, maybe for for fear, you know." Maybe you were an outspoken atheist. I don't know, but you were known for something as well. Paul was known for something. He used to hunt Christians. But then he shares a story about, how, this is how I met Jesus. I was on a mission trip to hunt Christians, and a bright light came down, and a man just knocked us to the ground, and I heard this voice, and I found out that Jesus was taking my persecution to Christians personally. And, and he... And I, I was converted on that day, and, I, and God gave me a call. Jesus gave me a call and told me that I was going to be a light to Jews and Gentiles. And, and that's the second part of his story. B.C., my life before I met Christ, here's how I met Jesus. And then Paul continues in verse 19. He says, and so King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea and also to the Gentiles that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed by, doing, by, by the good things they, are, they, they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time so I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead and in this way announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Suddenly, Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replied, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to him, for they were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am except for these chains. Paul tells his story. This is what my life was like before Christ. This is what I was known for. I hunted Christians. I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. This bright light shone, and I fell to the ground, and I became a Christian, and and God had a call on my life. And I used to hunt Christians, but now I make Christians. Now I'm planting churches. Now now I'm doing the very things that I was against to begin, uh, begin with, and here's what's going on as he's telling this incredible transformation of a story, what's happening is that the the knife is finding its way through the protective devices. There's someone in the crowd whose heart is being touched by Paul's story. Now, you might miss it. Verse 28 in your Bibles, there might be a little asterisk after the verse there. If you look down in the footnotes, especially in in the Pew Bibles there, this is what you'll read because this is how that verse can be translated. This is Agrippa talking. He's saying, a little more, and your arguments would make me a Christian. Agrippa, this story is getting, getting to him. It's not getting to Festus. Festus thinks Paul's insane. But Agrippa's hearing this story, and it's, it's, it's getting through the walls. It's getting through the protective devices that, that he may have put up. Um, as he's listening to Paul. And this is the power of story. This is the power of your story. Your story has the ability. I mean, think about the, the most guarded, most hardest person you know as it comes to the topic of faith. Your story has the ability to actually touch that person's heart and get them to consider the claims of Jesus Christ. Yet here's what some of you are already thinking. You're already thinking this. You're saying, Steve, I mean, that's Paul's story. I mean, Paul, he hunted Christians. He was a murderer. I mean, he executed people. He he tortured people. It's so dramatic. And, and then his, his conversion experience, I mean, he had light from heaven shine on him. He heard God's voice, Jesus' voice, audibly. It's so dramatic. And and then he went out and he's like an apostolic church planter. And he planted all these churches, wrote much of the New Testament. And, man, if they made a movie about his life, it would fill, people would come and it would fill the house. If they made a movie of my life, it would cure insomnia. Because <laughs> some of you are saying, my, my, my story is just so boring. There's it, really not, not much of my story. And, and so here's what I want to do. I want you to hear someone's story. It's nothing like Paul's, but I've asked my wife, Trina, if she would come join me up here, and she's gonna share her story. And you're gonna hear, much like in Acts 26, you're you're gonna hear how and what her life was like before she met Jesus. You're gonna hear how she met Jesus, and you're gonna hear how her life has changed. And, And here's the thing. There are a few of you in the room that the Spirit of God is gonna talk to you and it's going to, the Spirit of God is going to work past your defenses. He's going to touch uh, your heart and, and get you to, to think about what God might be saying to you even today as Trina shares a story. So listen as she does that.
0: So, my story begins in Hood River, Oregon, which is about 60 miles east of Portland. Um, I was born to teenage parents my mom was 16, and my dad was 19. My mom walked away from the Lord after she had me. My mom and dad wanted to get married, but there was no one in town that would marry them. So they went out of state, and they did get married, and this September they will have been married for 54 years. Um, My mom tells me the story of when I was young, her and my dad would stay up until three or four in the morning playing cards and drinking with friends, and I would be up with them. Um, she's embarrassed by it now, because she thinks a, a young girl should probably have been in bed at those hours. Um, but I thought it was normal. I have a lot of good memories growing up. Um, I remember camping and fishing. I remember summer water fights with my dad. I remember traveling to the big city of the Dalles with my mom. <laughs> um, we'd go to the Payless Drugstore, it was the big event, or to the Hostess outlet. and. Um, That was exciting for us in the sleepy town of Hood River. But my family experienced tragedy as well. When I was young, um, my sweet grandma, who I was so close to, uh, committed suicide. She was my dad's mom, and it was heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to this day. My dad's still not over it, um, and rightly so. And both my grandpas struggled with alcoholism. So although there was a lot of good uh, times in my family, there was also brokenness and unrest. So when I was young, I loved going to school. Um, I loved the routine, I loved my teachers, I loved my classes, I loved them all except one, art. I was not an artist and still am not. So when my third grade teacher said, "Um, you have a choice class, you can go to this thing called Good News Club or you can go to art. I'm like, I don't know what Good News Club is, but I know it's not art. So me and my friends, a few of them walked down to this local church and the leader of Good News Club shared with us stories from the Bible and shared with us about this man named Jesus. And one day she came and she brought this book that didn't have any words, but it had colored pages like these. And she said, all of you have done things wrong in your life. And even as a third grader, I knew that was me. She said, and your, your wrong things are called sin and they're black as night. But, but God wanted to make a way where your relationship with him was restored. So he sent his son Jesus and Jesus died on the cross for you and he shed his red blood for you um, to for, forgive us of our sins. So if you accept Jesus into your life, He sees you as pure. Your sins, your past, present, and future sins are all forgiven, and he sees you as white as snow. And when you have Jesus in your heart, it's like the green grass. Every day you grow closer to Jesus. And when you are old and you die, uh, someday you are going to walk the streets of gold with Jesus forever. And so she finished that story, and she asked if any of us in the class would like to invite Jesus into her heart and, and into our hearts, and without hesitation, I was standing at the front, inviting Jesus to be my Savior. And I must say that even to this day, I can vividly remember where I was standing. I can remember the teacher before me, but most of all, I can remember the overwhelming peace that came over me as a third grader. A peace that was so intense that I could feel the love of the Heavenly Father wrapping his his arms around me. A Heavenly Father that was never going to disappoint me, that was never going to mess up, that had my best in mind. And to this day, that peace and that love sticks with me. In fact, when I was sitting there and Jeff said, ask God what he would like to say to you, I burst in tears because I heard the Father say, I love you. And so that's my relationship with him even to this day. Um, A year after I came to the Lord, my mom tells me that she was watching the Billy Graham crusade on TV and she was overwhelmed. She had walked away uh, for 10 years, um, but she knelt beside her bed and she said, God, I'm done running. I'm going to come back to you. And even if I have to go to church without my husband, I'm going. So she started taking myself, my sister, and my brother to church every week, and she's been doing church alone for 44 years, and I really attribute to me sitting here to her faithfulness because of her taking us to church week after work. I did like that grass grow day after day, and it was because of Sunday school and church and youth group that I was just rooted in my life with Christ. The peace that I experienced from Jesus has been my constant throughout my life. I was a little girl, uh, then grew into adults. Steve and I met and got married and started a family of our own. And who would have thought that a little girl born to a 16-year-old mom would be a pastor's wife today? Makes me cry thinking about it. God is good. Thanks. So maybe you are here and you're lacking that peace that I'm talking about. I want you to know my life hasn't been perfect. There's been ups and downs since that third grade conversion. But Jesus has been my constant. He has been my peace. So today, would you consider inviting Jesus to be the peace in your life?
1: I should thank Trina for sharing her story. I get to go home with her after this service. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, look, here's the deal. Some of you in the room, you're looking for peace. And you just heard a story from someone who grew up in, in a, there's brokenness in that home. And God's redeemed. And there's peace. And the peace you're looking for will only be found in Jesus Christ. And you may need to come have a conversation with Trina after the service. Um, But, see, that's the power of story. It has a way of just getting through all the defenses that we put up. And it's, it's a normal story. And you have a story. Don't discount your story. Here's the beautiful thing about your story. No one can argue with you about it. It's your story, right? And the beautiful thing about that story is, look, God will use anything to draw people to himself. He will even use a hatred of art to draw people to him. (laughs) Your story counts. So here's what we need to do. Way to apply, Acts 26. Number one, you need to write down your story. Write it down. Put it to paper. Type it out. Here's my story. If it helps, use that outline. Here was what my life was like before Christ. And and, and this is what I was known for. Maybe you came to Christ as a little kid. That's great. Think of all the things that God has saved you from. And and think about your conversion and how that happened. Write that down. Talk about how your life has changed, and 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 do something brilliant that Paul did. Toss a question back. You heard Trina ask the question: Are you looking for peace in your life? King Rippa, you 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 know the prophets. What what are you thinking? Put a question at the end. But you know, write your story down. Here's what you're doing. Colossians four. Paul's actually writing this while he's in prison. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Writing your story down gives you and your hearer the gift of clarity. And then the next thing you do is you practice telling your story. You've written it. Now you're going to practice telling your story. I asked Trina to share her story. She wrote it down, and she practiced, and she honed it, and she, she made sure she got all the necessary parts in there. She called her mom to get permission to share some aspects of the story, and she practiced telling it. And now why would, why would we practice telling our story? So that we so that we're ready. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 3, this is what Peter gets at. Friend of Jesus says, Worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Readiness just comes from practicing and getting ready and and, and, and just kind of writing and, and and saying it out loud. Maybe you're sharing your story to the mirror in the bathroom. Or maybe, maybe it's that person that is, it's, it's, seems pretty hard on the exterior. You could walk up to them. It's just an idea. You walk up to them and say, hey, I've been working on my story. Can, can I practice telling you my story? I yeah, mean, you can do that. <laughs> Take a little courage. But practice telling your story. And here's why. Imagine. Imagine thousands of people. In Salem, Oregon, Kaiser, Oregon, the surrounding area here, thousands of people have written their story, who have practiced their story. Their antenna is up. They're ready to seize opportunities to share their story. Imagine all these stories being told and all these defenses that may be up, and that story weaving its way through all that protective devices that are up, and it finds hearts, and hearts start taking steps towards Jesus. Imagine what would happen. Think about what would happen, what could happen. And I'll tell you what will happen. The tide level of peace in our city will rise. And, and, And the kingdom will advance. And your revolutionary story will spark a spiritual revolution in someone's heart, in someone's family, in a neighborhood, in the workplace. And the kingdom of God will advance. In fact, let's pray to that end. So, Lord... We ask them, would this be so? Would you, Lord, help us not to walk out of this room, discounting our story, but help us to walk out of this room saying, I got to write this thing out. I need to be ready. I need to practice. Lord, grant us the courage. Grant us the ability to, to think clearly. And Lord, would you bring opportunities to us? It sounds like a scary thing to ask. But would you bring opportunities to us that where we could just share our story and we could we have the privilege of watching you at work in someone's life? Lord, we, we just say today, the only reason we have a story is because of what you've done for us. Your story, Father, of sending your son, Jesus, of living the life that we could never have lived, and still yet dying and paying our debt, Going into a grave and then conquering death and conquering sin. The tomb is empty and resurrection life is made possible. The only reason we have a story is because of what you've done for us. And we worship you for that. We ask and pray that, the, the, that our city would be transformed. We ask and pray that our state would be transformed. We ask and pray that our nation be transformed. And simply because we are telling our story and we're telling your story. And we just get to watch you do a beautiful thing in people's hearts. May it be so. We pray this in your name. Amen.
0: Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers@salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.